Radio studio. You're listening to Blaze Radio. This is Down the Line, the tennis show for you on Blaze Radio. I'm your host, Carson Bremer, and as we are in the midst of the Australian Open, we've got a bunch to get through. And the first thing I want to talk about is something that I will admit has me, has me pretty fired up. Dominic Team. So Dominic Team has been one of the best tennis players on the face of the earth since 2016. He was basic. He's basically been top 10 ever since then. I think entered the top 10 in May of 2016. Has not given that spot up once. And in the second round, uh, just yesterday, he went down two sets to one against uh, Mr. Bolt of Australia, who was 140 in the world. He had six career tour level wins before this. He's 27 years old. He's probably a name you've seen around, not a guy you've seen often because he's just not all that good. And Team, so he goes down two sets to one. He loses a tiebreaker in the third set, which to me, if you're a clutch, top-notch player, that's when you turn it around. It doesn't take you five full sets, and you may wonder why I'm being so critical of a guy that ended up winning. Well, part of it is he came out after this and said that he was, quote, in control the entire time, which is ridiculous because the dude was down two sets to one. He lost at a major potential turning point, but... This is part of a really disturbing pattern for Dominic Team, and it's something that he shares with another, you know, quote-unquote young guy in Alexander Zverev. Now, Team is 26 now. This dude has been around for a while, but he just doesn't deliver in the slams outside of the French Open where he actually has been very good. But this is a guy that I put my faith in. I said I thought he could win the French Open this year, and we look at how he's performed in Grand Slams just in 2018 and 2019. He lost to Thomas Fabiano, who was ranked 87th, Query, who was ranked 65th, Popperin, who was ranked 149th, Baghdadis, who was ranked 95th, and Sangren, who was ranked 97th. So in the last two years alone, that's losses at Grand Slams to five guys outside the top 60 and four outside the top 80. And what's so crazy about this is, guess who has more wins on tour than Dominic Team since 2016? Nobody. He has 211. Nadal has 210. Djokovic is 207. Zverev has 205, which is a problem of its own because he's 31 and 16 in slams. He's been even worse in team, but we're not going to talk about him right now. And Federer at 178. So he's won more than literally everyone else. But if you compare that to his performances at slams, he's 45 and 16. He has four first or second round losses in just his last six slams. He's only made five quarterfinals in the 16 grand slams he's played in since 2016. That's as a top eight seed for almost all of them. Five for 16, and one outside of the French Open where he's made four straight semis and, again, has been good. But does he want to go down as a Sergei Bergera? Except he can't even do that because Rafa is playing in this generation, so you don't get those couple of Frenches. It doesn't make sense because he's a talented player on all surfaces, but for some reason he can only deliver on clay outside of the French. He's 23-12 and 12 in Grand Slams over that stretch. So that means he's averaging a little bit less than a third-round exit. And you look at the other guys, his peers. So there are eight people who have made more Grand Slam quarterfinals in this time. No one has more wins. Eight people have more Slam quarterfinals. Obviously, you have Nadal at 11. You have Djokovic at 11. You have Federer at 10. Then you have Kanish Akori at 8. Stan Wawrinka at 6, who, by the way, also has a Grand Slam to his name. Marin Cilic at 6. Andy Murray at 6, who hasn't played in two years. Milos Raonic at 6. Raonic has more Grand Slam quarterfinals than Dominic Team. I have loved Raonic. He's been one of my favorite players ever since he broke out at the Australian back in 2011. 
but he's a borderline top 30 guy for most of his career, save when he got to, you know, number three way back when, but that was even before this stretch. I mean, this is absurd. Burdick and Del Potro both have five. That is the same amount as team, and Del Potro has only played in 10 slams over that stretch, and Burdick is now retired. Retired. So these are the people that one of the one of the greatest talents in tennis, one of the guys that is supposed to be carrying the game going forward, these are who he's on par with. An old guy who's now retired and a guy that can barely stay out there on the court. Both great talents, and I would never want to disrespect them. And over this stretch, he's been to one more Grand Slam quarterfinal than Sam Querrey, who's barely been seated in that stretch. This is absurd. It's so disappointing. And the reason I'm talking about team right now is because he just had another scare that should never have happened. Bolt is no great player. He's a lefty, I guess, is a little bit weird, but like this is inexcusable for him to be playing like this. And Zverev is even worse. When Zverev screws up, as I think he's bound to, we'll get into our own Zverev rant there. But it's just disappointing from team. I thought he was going to, you know, probably pass up Fed this year. I, I thought he could genuinely win the French Open. I thought he would be more consistent in slams this year. And, you know, he didn't lose. So that's good. He salvaged it, but it was ugly. And then to have the arrogance to come out and say, well, I was in control the whole time. No, you weren't. You were terrified of this player that should never scare you in a million years. But guess what? You've lost to someone ranked lower than him in slams over the past couple years. So that's enough about him. Let's move on to the four guys ranked above him who have been in an absolutely different tier thus far in the Australian Open. The dominance of the top four in the second round was absurd. Overall, the top four, Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, and Medvedev, won 74 of 106 games. That's 69.8%. They didn't lose a set. Uh, and if you look at Nadal through the first two rounds, he won 2-3 in love. Uh, and then three, and then six three seven six six one against Delbonis, which I think is still a good win. You know, that's a guy that can compete. Djokovic had a little bit of a slip up in the first round, beat Struff in four. I do think Struff is a pretty good player, but then second round against Tatsuma Ito, six one six four six two sixteen aces. Maybe the most dominant Djokovic serving performance I can ever remember. He won forty of forty six first serve points. That's ninety three percent. And of the 59 serves he got in, he won 53 of those points. That's 89.8%. So that is absurd dominance from Djokovic. And then Federer has been the most impressive of them all. Beat Steve Johnson, a decently legitimate opponent, 6-3-6-2-6-2, with 11 aces to one double, won 87 total points to Johnson's 52, then went 6-1-6-4-6-1 against Filip Krajinovic, who has been playing well lately, won 89 total points to 56 with 14 aces to no doubles. So overall... In, in the Australian, he's won 36 of 49 games. That's over 73%. 176 of 284 total points. That's 62%. 76 of 96 first serve points. That's over 79%. And has it 25 aces to two doubles. And believe it or not, I was set on him being upset in this tournament. I thought he was going to lose to Shapovalov. Then when Shapovalov lost, I said, okay, now Dimitrov is going to get him. And both of those guys have already gone down, while Fed has been nothing short of utterly dominant. Uh, and then Medvedev uh, took four against Tiafo, but then won 756163 against Pedro Martinez. Admittedly, that's a pretty easy draw, but 19 aces to two doubles. He was phenomenal, and he did some things out there that, as he always does, just blow your mind. The fact that a 6'5", 6'6 guy can move like he does, has control of the ball like he does with his strokes, with the fact that he really doesn't hit the ball with that much topspin at all, it just doesn't make sense. Medvedev does not make sense, but he's incredible. So, the top four have been great, but the tier below that has struggled. And I mentioned the Dimitrov loss. 
We're looking at a pretty chaotic section in the bracket right now because yesterday, Bar- Matteo Berrettini and, and Grigor Dimitrov both lost. And Fabio Fognini won in a fifth set tiebreaker, as he did in his first round match as well. So this is an open section now for someone to get to the quarters. It's either going to be Fognini, Peya, Sam Querrey, or Tennis Sandgren. One of those guys is going to be in the quarters. Fognini and Peya are both seated, uh, and Fognini is definitely the most legitimate. But it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. So let's talk about the Sandgren-Berrettini match, because Sandgren, I guess, just has some magic in him. The dude's 28 you know, he was a challenger tour lifer, basically, and comes out, wins the first two sets against Berrettini, then loses the next two, but wins 7-5 in the fifth, held on when it looked like he was going to get broken in the fifth and probably squander the lead, um, and he didn't do it. He served really well, 22 aces to two doubles, made 72% of his first serves, and I really think he got Berrettini with the weirdness. You know, Sangren is a weird player. Not only does he show up there, you know, from Tennessee, which is not common for tennis players, wearing his bright green headband, he throws a bunch of junk at you, he hits he hits slices, and he just let Berrettini make mistakes. Sangren had 34 unforced errors in this entire five-set match. That's crazy. Um, so Berrettini, to me, it's not that surprising because if you're looking at a top eight seed, I think he's one of the weakest of my life. I understand he just made the semis at the U.S. Open. I understand that he's got a nice enough game, and he's young. You know, he's like the same age as Zverev, so he's got room to improve. He's just a little bit more of a late bloomer, but... I'm just not that surprised that he lost early. Sandgren now has made three straight thirds round, third rounds uh, at Grand Slams. That is a longer streak than Dominic Team. Let that one sink in. Sangren is ranked 100th in the world. Uh, and then for Dimitrov, came back from two sets down. And you got to imagine my dismay because did I mention that these were the two guys that I predicted to move on to the quarters after the guys that I initially had, Chorich and Shapovalov, both lost first round. I updated my predictions and I said, okay, now Berrettini will make the quarters uh, Dimitrov will make the quarters, and I think Dimitrov will make the semis. And look what happened. They both lost immediately. So I'm done with long-term predictions. We're just predicting individual matches now. Um, but this was actually a really, really high-quality match, a really engaging match. Four hours, 20 minutes. Dimitrov ends up coming back from two sets down, but then loses in the fifth set breaker. And he lost to Tommy Paul. And Tommy Paul is the rare American talent, the rare, you know, guy who was a young American that was supposed to be the next big thing like Stefan Kozlov or Noah Rubin or Michael Moe, guys that have all not panned out at all, even if you go back, you know, to the Ryan Harrisons and the Donald Youngs. He's the rare guy where I look at the talent and I think, I get it. Because he, he's a fluid mover, he's got beautiful strokes, and I really do think that he can be a successful player. Now, he's never going to be a top 10 guy, but... I wouldn't be surprised if at some point later this year he does sniff the top 30 because he's only 22 and with the, you know, tennis players break out later these days. Shapovalov and Oje Aliassim being an exception of guys that are really competitive at 20 or younger, um, there just aren't that many. You know, Sinner is starting to come up at 18. He's top 75 in the world right now, but Tommy Paul is 80 in the world and I think we might continue to see him climb because he's good. As far as Fognini, this dude is just clutch and as always, wildly entertaining as he's been for his entire career in the first round came back from two sets down to beat Opelka in a fifth set tiebreak then beat Jordan Thompson after he won the first two sets one in a fifth set tiebreaker and he should never go to a, a fifth set tiebreaker against Jordan Thompson especially after he wins the first two sets but I guess he wants people to be entertained and he does a good job of that he's now 22 and 13 in fifth sets in his career and uh he has come back from two sets down at every single grand slam one of 12 people to ever do that Fabio Fognini cementing his name in the history books. 
So it's a wild section of the bracket, and I think I'm rooting for Fognini Query. You know, Sangren's got that Grand Slam magic. I don't think Paya should beat Fognini. Fognini's just so much more talented, and Paya's a pretty weak seed to me. Um, a, a Fognini Query match in the fourth round would be fun, and one of those dudes getting to the quarters would be pretty interesting. An unexpected guy, a more unexpected guy that has made it to this point, Ernest Golbis. We all remember him from back when, you know, he was a, a top 10 player in the world or right around it, a good friend of Murat Safin and one of really one of the great young talents in tennis about a decade ago. Now, I think he's 32. He qualified to get into the Australian. He's ranked 256 in the world, and he hadn't won a tour-level match since July. Then he goes out there, he beats Felix Auger-Aliassime in four sets, beat Badene pretty handily in the second round, um, and really played a great controlled match, 37 winners to 36 unforced errors for him versus 14 to 43 for Badene. Not a brutal second round draw, but the first round win over Oje Aliasim was impressive. I did think Oje Aliasim needed to play a little bit better on the big points, but Golbis, to see him advancing like this after he had just, you know, been gone for a couple years, it's really fun to see. And he's got Monfi coming up, and we'll, we're going to talk about that match, but boy, is that going to be entertaining. Um, another old guy on a bit of a run here, Marin Cilic, you know, uh, ran through Mute in the first round, then beat 21 seeded Pair in five, uh, Ended up winning that in a fifth set tiebreak as well, which is coming into action a bunch in this tournament. Uh, really played an awesome match. 35 of 43 on net points. That's 81%. You don't think of Chilich as a great volleyer, but he was just playing such beautiful, controlled, but aggressive tennis. And that shows, again, 59 winners to 38 unforced errors. And you saw just the veteran... I've been top. I was top ten for you know five or six years. I know how to win these matches because he fell down two sets to one. Pair was super hyped up, fired up as as you can be, and Chilich just sort of remained calm, battled, held on, and then got pretty pumped himself after really a great win. So that's what we've got for the men's results that have happened over the past couple days. Let's talk about the women, and then we'll get into uh, some predictions coming up because I think this is going to be an awesome third round that we're about to see. So, as far as the women, um, one of my favorite storylines is Cece Bellis, who came back, you know, had missed almost two full years of tennis. She had won one match since Indian Wells of 2018 coming into this tournament, and she just beat the seeded Muchova 4-4, four four, just played a nice controlled match, limited mistakes. Next up, next up is Elise Mertens. I don't see why Cece can't win that match. Now, I don't know if I would bet on her. I did I did predict that she would upset Muchova, um, and she stormed through her first-round match, too. I don't know if I would bet on her, but listen, Mertens is no world beater. I mean, a bunch of the seeds in women's tennis right now are beatable, and even though Cece has never been the greatest talent, in my opinion, and there, there's always been a ceiling on her, she's a fighter, and she's someone who knows how to win. So I think that's going to be a good match, and that's one to look out for. Another big second-round match, uh, Muguruza beat Tomjanovic, 6-3, 3-6, 6-3. This, to me, is a scary version of Muguruza that we're seeing. This is, to me, whenever Muguruza is on and dialed in and playing well, she's a top-five player in tennis, and that's what she looks like to me right now, which is why I have her going far. I revised my predictions, and again, this will probably be wrong because of my track record, but I, I believe I have her making the semis now. No, I have her making the quarters, um, but man, does she look good right now. 24 of 28 on net points, just controlled. Yes, it went three, but that's because Tomjanovic is a really good player, and Muguruza should scare anyone right now. Coco Goff came back to win in three sets against Searsti uh, in the second round. You know, Coco is really good. As far as 15-year-old mental toughness, she is exceptional. 
to come back against a veteran player and win that match is incredible. She has Osaka coming up, so that's about as tough as it gets, and I don't feel great about her chances there, obviously, because last time they played, Osaka obliterated her, but it's going to be must-watch tennis, and everyone should tune into that because whenever you get a chance to see two you know, talents of that status um, face off against each other, it's must-see tennis. I just think Osaka is so much better at this point. And Goff is 15. I don't think she'll ever be as good as Osaka, though, frankly. I think Osaka should be the best player in tennis for a decade if she can pull it together and if she can play more consistently and limit her mistakes. Um, I think she should be the best player in tennis for a decade. Uh, Final women's storyline that has already happened, and then we'll get into some predictions. Um, Caroline Wozniacki is now in the third round. And, you know, this is the last tournament that she's going to play, she has said. She's retiring after the Australian Open as she has arthritis. Uh, she beat the seeded Yastremska. It was a battle. There was a lot of back and forth in the second set. She now has Ons Jabor. I really don't see her losing that match, and I don't want to jinx her. But that would set up a fourth-round match uh, uh, with Serena. Two titans of this era of tennis. Two great personal friends. And, you know, I would be pretty surprised... If that didn't end up happening, and I can't imagine a way that Wozniacki would rather go out other than, of course, you know, winning a slam, but I don't see that happening. But that would be an awesome match, so watch out for Wozniacki, too. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break here. On the other side of the break, we will be discussing... We'll be discussing my predictions for the third round matches coming up ahead. You're listening to Down the Line on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. I'm away, I'm away, I'm away down we only come like in to Cole smile it, by J. Cole, and we only go out to Cole smile by J. Cole. That's that's the new rule here uh, on Down the Line. So let's talk about what's coming ahead for us in the third round, because I think especially in the men's round, boy, we have some good matches coming in hot. So let's talk about my predictions that I've officially made. I've officially predicted eight matches. We're going to talk about a couple more, but... First off, I have 24-seeded Dusan Lajovic beating 14-seeded Diego Schwartzman. Schwartzman leads 2-1 to one in the head-to-head. Last year, or excuse me, in 2018, they played at the Australian. Schwartzman won 11-9 in the fifth. But, man, Lajovic has looked good this year. At the, at the ATP Cup, he looked great. Had straight-set wins over both Felix Ojealiasim and Karin Kachanov. Then just really got fatigued against Batista Good in the last match, but played a great first set. Looked awesome at Edmund. In the first round of the Australian, destroyed Pullmans, hasn't lost a set at the Australian through two rounds. And Schwartzman has had a really weak draw thus far. Um, crushed Lloyd Harris, crushed uh, Davidovich Fokina, but you know that's a very easy draw to get to this point. And I do think that with Lajovic's weapons, there is certainly an outcome in which he just overpowers Schwartzman. So I'm going to take Lajovic. Schwartzman's a very good player. I wouldn't be shocked if it went the other way. This one that we're about to talk about is one of my favorite matchups, and it's Martin Fuksovics against Tommy Paul. So as I mentioned, Tommy Paul looked great against Dimitrov, but Fuksovics, these are two guys that I think are really underranked. Fuksovics at 67, Tommy Paul at 80. I think these, you know, Fuksovics to me is a top 40 player in tennis, and I think Tommy Paul might get there this year. I'm going to take Fuksovics because he beat Shapovalov. Handled center, and to me is just a better player, more experienced. Hits a really heavy ball that's hard to deal with, but this is going to be a good match. Let's move on to a matchup of a couple of old guys. Marin Cilic, I have upsetting ninth-seeded Roberto Batista Agut. 
Um, Chilich leads 4-2 to two in the head-to-head. Bautista Agut won last year when they played in the Australian Open. He won 6-4 in the fifth in the fourth round. And this prediction is maybe going against logic a little bit because Bautista Agut has been awesome this year and has really been as close to flawless as you can get. He's 8-0. He just lost his first set of the year against Michael Moe, which is a weird person to lose the first set of the year to, but I guess Moe's, you know, Moe's playing pretty well um, in this tournament, or he was playing pretty well, but he destroyed Bautista Agut. Excuse me, he destroyed Kyrgios at the ATP Cup, handled Lajovic after that first set, and basically just ran through everyone, but... I think there's a little bit of Chilich magic in this tournament. You know, Chilich, getting older, has fallen to 39 in the world, but he was a finalist here just two years ago. And I think he wants to prove that he can really still do it at the top level, and I think this is a tournament where he goes on a run that might prove that. Batista Gut could, if he's able to play enough balls back and force Chilich to make mistakes, which Chilich is liable to do, he could end up winning. But I think Chilich could also have a vintage performance in which he just hits 70 winners. And it's, you know, good night, Irene. So let's move on to an American-on-American matchup, which I think is really interesting. We have Query against Sandgren. I have Query winning this. Last year they played at Wimbledon. Query won in four. Query has just looked great this tournament. Beat Chorch in straight sets, then beat uh, Barankas in four. He had 18 aces to just one double fall against Chorch and 36 winners to 19 unforced errors. That's about as good of a tennis match as you can play when you're looking at limiting mistakes and maximizing, you know, your ability to attack with both the serve and from the ground. Query looks really good right now. Um, and Sangren is weird. Sangren could get anyone. So I just think Query is the better player, and he's playing better right now, in my opinion. So I'm going to take him, and that would set up the Query-Fognini fourth round, which would be interesting where I'd probably take Fognini, but Query looks dangerous right now. Speaking of looking dangerous... Nick Kyrgios, boy, he's fired up and he's inspired, and he right now is trending in the exact opposite direction of what I predicted before this season, which was that he would fall out of the top 50 this year because he's fired up and he's motivated. And when that's the case, you know, he's incredible. Um, I have him beating Kachanov, who's seated 16. Kachanov leads this 1-0 all-time. He won in Cincinnati last year when they met in three sets, but struggled against Valeria Martinez, really struggled against Emer, won 10-8 in the fifth set breaker in that match. And this is really more about Kachanov than Kyrgios, just because he has not looked great this tournament, and I think this is a time where he can really get got. And then that sets up a Kyrgios and a Dahl fourth rounder, and we know how Kyrgios feels about his ability to beat the top guys. That would be a thriller. You know, I would take Rafa, but, I mean, that would be one of the, one of the great matches of the early year, I think. Moving on to someone who has had a great early year, I have Andre Rublev uh, beating Goffin. Rublev is seated 17th. Goffin is seated 11th. Rublev leads 1-0 in their all-time head-to-head. Rublev is now 10-0 on this year. Won the first two tournaments that he competed in. Competed in. Has had, outside maybe Djokovic, the best season of anyone yet this year. And it's really all coming together for the young fella. This is a guy that's been inconsistent in his entire career up to now, but has such clear weapons, beautiful serve, beautiful attacking strokes from the ground, and I think he overpowers Gofan. And Gofan is a guy that if you just flat-out out-hit him, you can get him. You know, he beats guys that you expect him to beat, but I think someone like Rublev, like Rublev as hot as he is right now, should beat Gofan. Uh, next up, 10-seeded Monfi against Golbis. Now, I have Monfi winning this. Monfi is 3-0 all-time in their head-to-head, uh, including on the Challenger Tour. Golbis just rolled Bedene. But Monfi won a war against Karlovic. 4-6, 7-6, 6-4, 7-5. That was an awesome tennis match. Monfi was fired up. Had to fight like hell for that tiebreaker in the second set. 
and just was playing incredible tennis. So I can't pick against him right now, but with Golbis rolling and, you know, we know how talented he is, he could totally win this. And this is going to be a riveting match either way because these are two of the most entertaining players in tennis. And we don't know what we're going to see, especially from Golbis. So that could be interesting. And now let's discuss what I guess is my my upset pick of, of this round. I have Verdasco defeating seventh seed Zverev. And this comes back to what we were talking about with Zverev's woes and Grand Slams. He's been to two Grand Slam quarterfinals in his career. So, odds suggest that someone's going to get him earlier than you would expect. Or maybe in my case, now you are expecting it because of his track record, which is really humiliating when you're a, a talent of his caliber and a guy that has been touted as one of the futures of tennis. These guys have to start winning big matches. That's my thing with him. That's my thing with team. Win in the slams where it counts. Um, Verdasco, meanwhile, looks really good. Just controlled a match against Basilashvili. Uh, won three straight sets after the first. Basilashvili probably beat himself. 27 winners to 58 unforced errors. But on the other side, Zverev never looked that comfortable against Jarosimov to me. Won 7-6-6-4-7-5. Every one of those sets was highly contested. Took him breaking in the last game in the second set. Last game... Um, or at least last service game in the third set, and obviously a tiebreaker in the first. So that was unconvincing to me. I think his nerves really get to him. And I'm not generally a believer, I guess, and you know that certain people are chokers, but <laughs> Zverev is as close as... No, Zverev is. In Grand Slams, This there's undisputed evidence. This dude goes out in the third round most of the time. So uh, I'm not going to put my faith in him. I'm going to bet on the upset. Another young guy, Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, I'm going to have beating Raonic. Sitsipas is seeded 6th, Raonic 32nd. These two have never played before, and I think this is actually going to be a really interesting match. Sitsipas lost just five games in the first round against Caruso uh, and then had a walkover over Kolschreiber in the second round. Raonic has looked really good, though. Won 2-1-3, then won 3-4-2. Hasn't been broken yet and has faced just three total break points. So I think that this could be an outstanding match, and I would definitely put this on the upset watch because we know what Raonic is capable when he's at his best, uh, especially on this surface where he first broke through and made himself known back in 2011, as I mentioned earlier. So this is going to be a good one. Sitsipas doesn't quite have the proven track record. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he did make the semis here last year, so that was a good showing from him, but this is going to be a good match. Uh, let's move on to the last men's prediction we have for the third round. I have Stan Wawrinka winning as the 15th seed over 19th seed John Isner. Uh, he's 3-1 in the head-to-head, -head, or excuse me, Isner leads the head-to-head 3-1 -head overall. They've played just one since 2011, though. Stan coming off of a five-set win against Seppi, but Isner hasn't been broken and has faced just three total break points as well. I just like Stan more here. I think he's the superior talent, but this could be a really great match of two long-respected veterans. We're going to have to burn through uh, this these women's predictions pretty quickly. I have Osaka beating Goff. Pretty easily leads the head-to-head one-nothing -head, um, and rolled her last time. And then I have Muguruza being the five-seed Svitolina. Svitolina leads seven to two in the head-to-head, -head, but I think we all know what Muguruza is capable of on her best days. And I think that she's really in the zone like that right now. And I think she's playing top five player in the world level tennis. So that's going to do it here for Down the Line today. Uh, you're listening to Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. Make sure you go out there and watch some tennis. We'll be back here next Tuesday talking more. I've been Carson Breber. You're listening to Blaze Radio.